0: To education Matters. I'm your host, Marianne Wolf. Today we are coming to you from the seventh annual Eggs and Issues Breakfast presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. Today's discussion on COVID-19 and education policy is part of a two episode series on the top 10 education issues for 2021. Here to talk with us today are Dr. Katherine Edmonds from the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction, Daniel Scott, Onslow County Schools, Senator Corbin from the General Assembly and Dr. Scott Elliott with Taga County Schools. As we look ahead to the legislative session and knowing that we're coming close to a full year of schools adapting to the realities of COVID-19, would you each share briefly about yourself and your perspective and what you see is the key issues that we need to consider in the upcoming months.
1: We know that COVID has brought many challenges and changes to education as we once knew it. And you know we hear a lot that people say, we wanna go back to what was normal. But what we have to remember is that normal was not good for all students in our state. And so I don't want us to t- um, let the pandemic be in vain and we not take on to some of these innovative pieces that we've learned through the pandemic. But as I look at the challenges and I started thinking about the question, and I said, you know, we definitely need to um, look at teacher and principal pipeline work. We know that through COVID, there have been retirements, but pre COVID, we know that we were not getting the numbers of students into our schools of education. So we were already looking at a shortage, and now layer on top of that, the COVID piece and knowing that we need teachers and strong leaders in our schools as we move forward to be able to help our students academically and social and emotionally to get back to where we want them to be or where they need to be. And we know that if students are not reading by third grade that the chances of them graduating for high school is it becomes very low for our non-readers. And I think the research says that in fact, that they are four times more likely not to graduate from high school. So addressing early learning is something that we definitely need to look at as we move forward. And I know we have others on the panel and there are other things that we need to address. Talking about the Leandro piece and the tenets of Leandro and the top tenants are having an effective principal in every leading every school and an effective teacher in every classroom. So as we look at moving forward um, and, and how do we get our students back academically where they need to be, um, looking at that teacher pipeline work, principal pipeline work, and early learning are my top priorities, but also looking at that A through F piece. Thank
0: you so much, Dr. Edmonds. You're all raising such critical issues. Dr. Elliott.
2: We started the year prioritizing um, uh, in-person instruction for our students with disabilities, our pre-K students and students served in our uh, school-based mental health uh, day treatment programs. They've been coming every day since August and we moved everyone else into plan B back in October. And that's where we have been operating since in that hybrid model. Um, Our greatest challenge right now is not the spread of virus uh, in our schools. It's actually keeping our schools operating by having enough healthy staff uh, able to come to school, not in isolations or not sick every day. Um, I think that we have a lot of issues that we need to to look at beyond just the impact of the current epidemic. Um, I think our priority needs to be on staying focused on returning our schools and our teachers to in-person instruction full time as soon as it's safe to do so. Um, That means right now we need to prioritize vaccinations for our staff as soon as possible in order for them to be able to to have the additional protection that they need and that they deserve in order to be able to, to come to work safely. Um, As has been mentioned, the pandemic has cast a bright light on many of the inequities that exist in our communities, not just in our schools. Uh, Those include, as you said, areas uh, like broadband internet access, access to food, um, and access to uh, mental health services for our students, our families, and and even for our staff members and teachers who are struggling right now. Um, I also think, uh, as Dr. Edmund said, we have a golden opportunity right now to rethink the purpose. Of our testing and accountability program uh, for it to be a true tool for teachers in the instructional process. Uh, We also need to think about how we recruit and retain professionals with everything from that initial licensure process to um,
3: adequate compensation models. I think my biggest fear and I think the biggest issue that we could have in North Carolina is the thought that we must go back You know, as opposed to moving forward, I heard a saying the other day that uh, you must always be like a shark in your efforts, which means like if a shark stops moving, they die. And so we must always promote moving forward in everything that we do and in every situation that we have. And so being a shark of education is is Giving more transparency, I feel as educators in the classroom, I think that right now there's an indefinite amount of ideas of what might happen in the future. But what we're seeing all over my timeline on social media uh, is students and educators who are feeling lost, who are feeling completely dejected and have no understanding of what's coming next. and that's actually there's a there's a, a specific uh, psychology aspect of that, which is called anticipatory grief. And what that grief type is, is the anticipation of what might happen. And so my students, myself, all of my colleagues are feeling that anticipatory grief of, you know, we can look forward to these things. However, they'll probably just get canceled either way. And so when you think of the theory of motivation and drive, it has three components, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Right now, none of our students or our colleagues have a complete purpose of what we're looking for and accomplishing in North Carolina by the end of the school year. I think what could really help us is for transparency of how vaccines are going to be administered to our teachers and our family members. I think a transparency of where funds are going to be allocated, what the summer plans look like. Are there going to be outreach for programs of students? What is the the, the percentage that we're trying to get to, to be able to open up our extracurricular activities. You know, right now, they're just saying, not yet, not right now, later, later, later. And so then that anticipatory grief gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That time to, to, to the motivation, the drive gets less and less and less. 51.5 million adults in our country live with mental illness. of mental health issues begin before the age of 14, meaning that 50% of our students are gaining mental health issues before they even step into a high school classroom. Anxiety is the ninth leading cause of behavioral and uh, mental disability in all of our students that we see every single day. The thing that's interesting about all of those facts is that they happened before 2019 all of the data points are pre-2019. So when you think anxiety and mental health and social emotional issues, were already an epidemic in our country before COVID-19. And so when you look at what COVID-19 has done for the isolation, for the lack of anticipation, for the lack of experiences for our students, the, the, the more that school offers, not just the social interaction, but the experiences for our students that are outside the academic realm, that's where I would put my focus. In addition to that, (laughs) we have to recognize that we can do everything we can for our students, but we have to do even more for the adults in the building. Teachers are going through this experience that's like no other. We are having to be innovative in survival mode. That is the most difficult thing in my five years, that I have ever done, and I hope that I ever have to do, we must allow for our schools to start to focus on our students and our staff mind, body, but most importantly, soul.
0: When we come back, we'll have more discussion with our panelists.
4: Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Town Bank, serving others, enriching lives.
0: Welcome back, Dr. Elliot. how can legislators and state and district leaders help to address these issues? And Senator Corbin, we'd love to hear from you after um, Dr. Elliott.
2: Yeah, the recruitment and retention of teachers in our profession really always has been and will continue to be a great concern um, and, and is an area in need of attention. I, I would say now it's more critical than ever before. Um, there's no doubt that this year has been incredibly difficult year for our teachers. Um my, my wife, uh, Laura, is an eighth grade science teacher. We talk about it every day and the ways in which um, pivoting in the classroom and, and just supporting our students um, is so difficult and how it wears on our teachers every day. Um, and that's regardless of the setting that teachers are in remote, face-to-face, uh, or blended instruction. It's, it's hard. Uh, we still have many bright and talented young adults who are very purpose-driven. And who want to make a difference through teaching and we have a lot of mid-career adults out there in in other professions who have great experiences and they have great skills and they want to transfer that into a career in education so we we must all of us as a society as a state uh, we must get back to giving the teaching profession the respect and the support that it really deserves Um, i think that that begins with increasing the pipeline by removing barriers to the licensure process like reducing the number and the cost of those uh, teacher candidate tests uh, that everyone must take now um, and making those um, teacher licenses portable across state lines so that it is easier to recruit teachers without those extra tests and licensure requirements. Um, Of course, it also means compensating our teachers uh, and continuing to reward them for their expertise and their experience. And we can do that uh, by doing things like reinstating longevity pay, fully restoring master's pay, uh, restoring the health benefits to our retirees, and um, and creating some new career advancement opportunities for teachers without necessarily having to go into administration roles like coaching and mentoring, um, instructional leadership, things like that. Um, And I will say uh, the financial burden for teacher compensation cannot continue to be shifted to local counties and school systems through increased local supplements in order to be competitive with other states. That's an an issue that we have to address at a statewide level. Uh, But teachers will stay in schools. They will stay in our profession when they're respected, uh, when they're heard, and most of all, when they feel effective. Uh, Teacher efficacy comes from having the tools and resources to do the job. And it comes from having respect from elected officials, local leaders, school administrators, parents. Um, And it all comes from, um, I think, knowing that they're making a difference.
0: Senator Corbin, I know this is an area that you care a lot about too.
4: Yes, yes, ma'am. Um, let me just say, uh, uh, Scott Elliot, good, good point. The advantage of going second on a question, you can always just say, "Hey, I agree with the first guy." Uh, so all the points you made were uh, super valid. Speaking as a former school board member, I spent, uh, as you know, Marianne spent uh, uh, 20 years, five terms. For some crazy reason, I decided to stay on the school board. Uh, but I'm a huge supporter of the public schools and, and our teachers uh, the obvious let's talk about teacher pay every year I've been in the legislature I have voted for uh, an increase in teacher pay I will do it again uh, that that's a, a critical issue um, uh, we have uh, we've had some early discussions with the governor uh, and I think uh, we're, we're very hopeful that we're going to be able to pass a budget that the governor will sign and we've had some early uh, discussions that looks like that's going to happen and that that I think will include a uh, uh, teacher pay increase. Uh, one thing I know I've mentioned to you before, mentioned on the TV show on WRAL the other day, is the way we compensate uh, teachers or uh, uh, set those up for uh, districts. Um, right now, every, for every 18 third graders, for example, we fund one teacher. Well, I've got a, a school in, in my district, uh, Highland School. It's a K-12 school they literally have about 20 students in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and third grade. So with those 20 students, you can't have over 18, so if you divide that into two classrooms, but guess what? The state only funds one teacher to that school system. So uh, Dr. was talking about local supplements. One thing the state could do to help uh, provide more money locally is to pick up the cost of those teachers. I know in in, uh, my home county of Macon, um, and I'm guessing Chris Baldwin may want to correct me, but I, I believe we're paying for about 30 teachers locally. Well, that amounts to, to thousands of dollars that that school system could use for supplements, could use for a lot of other things. Um, and I think that the, uh, the model has always been, at, at least in my tenure, for uh, the counties to pick up the brick and mortar and the state to cover the, the cost of uh, personnel. And the state's not quite doing that. Uh, especially for rural and i'm going to speak up for rural school systems it's a little tougher in in uh, my area dr elliott's area uh, and uh, Dr. scott's area as well uh, when you have these rural schools that, that uh, kids kids don't come in lots of 18 and i've preached that uh, since i've been in the legislature so i hope we make some progress toward uh, actually funding what uh, superintendents need for personnel
0: i wonder um dr Edmonds, and then mr scott If you could share more about how we should be supporting our students as we come out of the pandemic and how would you recommend expanding the learning opportunities for students? Dr. Edmonds?
1: One size does not fit all. So having that flexibility to to do what's best in your area, for example, um, in, in our rural community in Northeast North Carolina, we're looking at learning pods. So how do we partner with our community so that we can have these learning pods so that students can have access to um, some support throughout the school day. And looking at summer learning opportunities, being able to have um, programs in the summer that will meet the needs of our students but also, um, and we didn't talk about this piece about the flexibilities, but um, flexibility around the calendar so that we can have an earlier start so that we can provide those professional growth opportunities for for our staff, for our teachers, for our principals, but also being able to bring our students in earlier so that we can start um, providing some support for them. Because part of the work that we have to do is understanding where are the gaps? Where are our students? And then once we have that data, then how do we provide accelerated learning opportunities to get them quickly back up to speed? And so I think in whatever we do, we have to make sure that we can, one, have that baseline, but two, look
3: at those accelerated
1: opportunities and having that flexibility to be able to get that work
3: done. Once again, I'm on the exact same wavelength as Dr. Edmonds, 100%. And it was really interesting. I'm glad she brought up uh, the word gap. Uh, because there's actually something that I've been researching recently about the idea of an achievement gap. And I've I've been seeing that kind of cycling around, really feel that we should deconstruct what the achievement gap actually is because uh, there's there's a book called bad stats that actually speaks about how uh, we have utilized uh, statistics and comparable data in the past to actually uh, continue to keep marginalized students down and to continue to show how they are not uh, I guess, as educated. And we also know that the book that Randall Robertson made, The Mismeasure of the Man, uh, he stated that IQ tests were known as uh, an idea to continue the idea of supremacy amongst our, our country. And uh, one of the things that I really feel that we should uh, start with when we're talking about the, the gaps is that they're not achievement gaps, but they are opportunity gaps. Because we must first understand that there are students in our state who have not had the same type of experience through COVID-19 as many other students in our rural communities, our minority communities, our communities that don't have broadband access. Um, I, I was standing in the office one day and a student walked in, it was the second day of school. And uh, his parent walked in and said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm disenrolling him. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And what it was, was that the student wasn't able to do the hybrid learning the way that the parents wanted. So they just took him out and put him in private school.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: There are. Of our students that don't have that opportunity or that ability to just go to private school that was fully in person and able to figure out how to test their students in and, and to get their students all in school. So we must start with, who are we comparing our students to get in, 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 in public education. Who, who are we comparing them against? The people who uh, were not in a pandemic last year? You know, when we think of uh, the comparative statistics of saying that our students are starting to get this achievement gap, there's no achievement gap with any person in the entire United States or the entire world. So we must start with breaking down that achievement gap idea and start making it an opportunity gap idea. The students who haven't had the same opportunities as others during the pandemic, we must fill those gaps and ensure that our students are getting that experience that they need to be successful. In addition to that, when you think of the idea of achievement gaps and we keep telling our students of color that you are lesser, than the students who are achieving higher than you. Our, our, our female students, that you are lesser in, in math and science than our male students. We keep saying things like that, and you, we must understand that we gain our self-concept, not from what I think about myself, or not from even what anyone on this panel thinks about me, but what I think that you think about me. So if we continue telling our, our students that you are not enough, you are not achieving enough, you are not going high enough, they're going to start believing those ideas and believing and their dreams start being a matter of perspective. Their dreams start being limiting. So we must open up that idea. Our students aren't being compared against anyone. We must give them what they want. Let me just say to uh, Daniel Scott, I appreciate the, our folks
4: who work in the arts so very much. Uh, you know, so many times we, we look at those programs as extracurricular or they are so Important, and we need to make sure those will continue to be funded. Uh, so I really believe in what you do. There are a lot of kids that stay in school because they want to be in the band, or they want to sing in the chorus, or they want to be in that art program, and and because of that, they uh, they they get the, the other things. Uh, yeah, moving forward very quickly, no matter time, uh, we we've got to uh, continue to address the broadband issue. That the uh, that is so important. That that's number one, and in, in especially our rural areas, because of, some of this inequity. Uh, When kids don't have access to broadband, uh, it it really makes it difficult for the parents, the kids, the teachers, and everyone, especially in in my region and I know in the eastern part of the state, there's so many areas um, that are underserved. And and, uh, So I'm going to continue to push in the legislature for additional funding. Uh, for broadband and for education period.
1: Dr. Edmonds your final advice. We have to remember that we have to support them to be strong and that it's okay if you do have that anxiety you know we are there to support you so that would be my piece of advice across the board is to be kind.
2: I think a a silver lining of this pandemic has been that, as I often say, our school systems and our communities are kind of ecosystems. They're interconnected, they're interdependent, especially here in our rural communities. And I hope that the, the last 10 months have been a reminder to everyone about the importance of our public schools and our communities. I would ask our legislators, our, our state board uh, members, and others to take kind of a systems view.
3: In every decision that we make as educators, as teachers, as as principals, as superintendents, as state board members, anything, we must always focus on how the children are doing and feeding their body, mind, and soul in every action and every decision that we do.
0: And that is the perfect way to end this panel, to have the four of you on here who care so deeply about our children, our teachers, and all of the families and community here in North Carolina. Thank you so much. After the break, this week's final word. Much of the discussion in education has started to look toward the transition and recovery from COVID-19 and it is encouraging that we can begin to consider policies and resources that should be in place so that educators, schools and districts can be sure that each student has the academic, social and emotional learning support they need, especially after this year. However, these discussions also come at a time when school districts across the state continue to operate in hybrid and remote learning settings and safety for all remains a major concern. Not surprisingly, COVID-19 and the inequities exacerbated by the pandemic were top of mind as educators policymakers state and district leaders students and other education stakeholders gathered virtually this week for our annual eggs and issues event hosted by the public school forum. In hearing from a member of the North Carolina General Assembly, an educator, and local school district superintendents, we are reminded in a very profound way how COVID-19 has impacted our students, educators, and communities. And we are also reminded of the heroic efforts of our educators, schools, and families to support our students every day. As a state, we are at a critical moment in which we must take great care to deeply understand the immediate and long-term challenges our schools, families, and students face and to develop policies and provide resources and flexibility so they can meet the needs of each of our students. Education stakeholders are identifying shared concerns and working together to address immediate needs and accelerate the recovery from COVID-19. The resulting solutions and recommendations for policymakers include addressing needs that begin with early childhood learning and literacy all the way through post-secondary attainment with many K through 12 concerns addressed in between. Addressing each of these and other critical issues requires resources and funding, but with the appropriate policies and resources, the investment will help with the immediate needs of our schools and district as we begin the recovery from COVID-19 and they will also support critical areas for long term efforts to ensure that every child in North Carolina has access to a sound basic education and will graduate prepared for college, career, and citizenship. North Carolina is fortunate to have the resources available to address the needs of our schools and students, the understanding of what is needed, and the will of education stakeholders and policymakers to enact purposeful and effective policies. We must use this critical point in time to lay the groundwork for accelerating investments and innovations in education for all of our students. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.